0: It's so deep in our subconscious. This like, I'll just look pretty over here on the sidelines. I'll be picked. Mm. It's a certain type of passivity that I think we're taught as women that that's what's seemly. That's what's appropriate. You're not supposed to go out there and get what you want or ask for what you want.
1: I know you are doing the best that you can right now your relationships matter to you, you are important. And yet over time, we get stuck, we get lost, or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. What if we could live in a world where we stopped telling ourselves that we should be a good girl? The good mom? The good partner, the good daughter-in-law? What if we could live in a world where we stopped glorifying our busyness and instead honored our need to rest? What if we could live in a world where we stopped projecting our uncomfortable feelings onto other women and instead turned inwards and asked ourselves, what is this really about for me? When I first picked up the book On Our Best Behavior, I immediately knew that I was going to be shaking up some deep internalized beliefs and messages that I, and so many women, have held onto and lived by that aren't really helping us live a meaningful life which is why I'm so excited to sit with today's guest. Elise Lonan is a writer, editor, and podcast host who lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Rob, and their two sons, Max and Sam. She is the host of Pulling the Thread, a podcast focused on pulling apart the stories we tell about who we are and then putting those threads back together. While she's co-written 12 books, including five New York Times bestsellers, her first book under her own name, On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins, and The Price Women Pay to Be Good, was also an instant New York Times bestseller. Previously, she was the chief content officer of Goop, where she co-hosted the Goop podcast, the Goop Lab on Netflix, and led the brand's content strategy and programming, including the launch of a magazine with Condé Nast and a book imprint. Elise is a frequent contributor to Oprah and has written for the New York Times, El Decor, Stylist, and more. Let's go into today's conversation. One of the things that I appreciate, Elise, about your work is that you are frequently asking questions. You have a willingness to be a seeker, to question information, and it's what led me not only to your podcast called Pulling the Thread, which has so many meaningful conversations on it. I enjoy listening, but also your best-selling book on our best behavior. And your book has unpacked these ancient rules that have been used to condition and control women's lives every day. And reading your book, there were so many moments where I always say it's a good book when I want to throw it across the room, because it's hitting something inside of me that I need to hear and that I don't like and I have to face. So
0: thank you for this work that you're doing and for all that you're sharing. You know, thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to know that it's both resonant and um, and infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> I aim to please.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's interesting when I, when I read the book. So you you had also completed the Enneagram. I'm a number one. So I feel like we are in good company together, both being those perfectionist number ones that appreciate Although control.
0: my Enneagram number is is now disputed. I don't know my Enneagram oh. number anymore. A whole nother conversation. I might be a five, I might be a six, but <laughs> I've, I've um, labored under the idea of being a one. That's for sure. Fair enough. Maybe we could talk about the driving
1: force behind the book on our best behavior. What was going on for you at the time? What was leading you to write about the seven deadly sins that yeah. we as
0: women experience? Throughout my career, I, um, I've um i been a, a ghostwriter, mostly in the world of books, almost actually completely. I don't know why I said mostly. Um, I'd never written my own book. I was convinced I didn't have a book in me. And I very much preferred to stand behind other people and help them shape their ideas and stories and use their platforms to sort of shove ideas into the culture. It was much, much more comfortable and, you know, sort of a confluence of events, namely working on a book and having it be just like a a maddening experience outside of my own control. But ultimately, at the end of the process, realizing that I had sort of wasted a year of work, etc. And my agent saying, you know, like, what's wrong with you? Like, let's, let's get to the bottom of whatever it is in you that's so convinced that you don't have a book in you. And it was sort of that push. It was um, my brother in law slash best friend dying in his sleep when he was 39, just a confluence of events, I think that started to not shake me awake, but Start to rethink how I had imagined or in how much I had um, internalized this idea that it is um, of much higher value to be in service to the world and hidden um, versus sort of out there in the world and how much judgment I had about myself or any interest in being seen as doing my own work. And so that that was a big part of it was an opening to the universe and a saying, okay, like I recognize that this is an, uh, I don't know what I'm proving or what I'm doing here. um, But I, I'm open. And, and then also because of my long history of writing books, I recognize one, like what a labor they are. And two, how many people settle on an idea that seems actually in retrospect to be quite small. And then they're left, you know, talking about that idea or standing behind that idea uh, for years, right? It takes a long time to write a book. and so I didn't want to write a small book, not in the context of how it might be received because you really have absolutely no control over that. But I wanted to write a book that felt like I could easily happily spend three years up front, researching, thinking about writing this book, and then ideally, hopefully, you hope, years after talking about it. And so I waited. I didn't end up ultimately waiting that long because again, I think that once I sort of opened to the idea, then it moved quite fast. But um, it was this opening and and then it was sort of the fulmination of a big enough question, which for me became, what is it in me? And what is it in our culture? Why are women conditioned to be so hard on ourselves and then on each other while simultaneously being fed this idea that that's sort of naturally who we are? Like, what is that? I wanted to understand that, that instinct in myself, you know, you get into this sort of, well, I'm hard on other women because I just expect more from them, <laughs> right? We see this all over our culture, but I just expect more from you. And I really wanted to understand what that was about. And the construct of the sins, you know, I'm, my dad's Jewish. My mom's a recovering Catholic. I grew up going to Jewish services and a Methodist church, but did not really have a particularly religious upbringing. And if anything, my mom was terrified that I would engage in Christianity or Catholicism in any way. So this was outside of my, I wasn't conditioned or programmed with this idea of sin. And yet I actually started with envy and initially was like, do I need to write a book about envy? Is that what's driving all of this woman on woman hate? And then I sort of traced it back. Like, where did envy come from? And what's its etymology? And like, where did it sort of show up first in culture? And that's how I landed at the sins. And then, you know, when I looked at them, I just had this. I was on a plane. And I had this sort of, oh, my God, this is the checklist for women. Sloth, pride, envy, greed, lust, anger, gluttony. Wow. Like, these are all things that land in me in a way that they don't land in my husband or my brother or in the culture. And so that's really where it started. And it definitely changed.
1: Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engaged to help dampen the sound around me and these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation i still hear greg i can still hear the kids i love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing Sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code, it's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature-regulating technology which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. cozy earth uses the very best fabrics materials and wares offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days I look forward to getting into bed and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality but the best part is that if you're worried about commitment enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases head over to Cozy. CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. I think so many people can relate to that experience of keeping themselves small or hidden or behind yeah. something instead of going forward and listening and it's it's almost this like being sense. It's not, I, I don't want to say doing because we're really good at doing as women yeah. and being the doers, but there's also this other sense of being and showing up in such a different way. And that entry into the seven deadly sins. And I remember reading through it and thinking, yes, this relates to me. And I also didn't go to church growing up and it wasn't part of what I experienced as a child, but wow, I could relate to all of them. Yeah. So I have been on a clinical mission with all of my clients to help them learn to differentiate the jealousy from envy. Yeah. And the sense of every time I say, oh, that's interesting. You say you're jealous. Let's look at that. Huh? Did you, it sounds more like envy and actually jealousy is this. So let's hang out in envy because it's a really important one for us. And And all of my clients will say, envy, I know, I envy is bad. I shouldn't feel envy.
0: Yeah, no, they're, and they're, they're synonymized and they're, they're close, but they're different. So jealousy involves a third. So you might be, you know, jealous of someone who's trying to steal your partner, right? Or, um there's just there's a triangulation involved with jealousy it's not it's not direct actually and envy is one on one it's far more intimate it's when someone has something or is doing something that you want for yourself it's far more confrontational there's a badness right associated with it besides just the fact that it's part of the seven deadly sins and it requires a much more direct confrontation with your own wanting, though I argue in the book, and this was my experience that I'm so far away from, or was now I'm much, much better at this. But I read there was this just small moment, this was near the beginning of the idea for the book and Lori Gottlieb's book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, where she says, similar to you, I tell my clients to pay attention to their envy because it shows them what they want. And I had this just like moment with that sentence because first I had this immediate resistance. I'm not envious. I don't even know what that feels like. I don't have any envy, just this like instinct to disown. And then I had this sadder revelation of, and I don't really actually even know what I want. I'm very uh, good at identifying what other people want and helping them get that and getting my own needs met by giving other people what they want. I think a lot of women are familiar with that construct. The caring, I the pleasing, yeah. perfecting and performing. Yes. Yeah. It's just we're conditioned to subjugate our wants to other people's needs or our wants can be present if they're in service to other, you know, it's very, we, we figure it out in ways that I don't think we're quite Even conscious of. Um, I need to get this need met. So I'm going to give this person what they want. Right. It's pretty fundamental, I think, for a lot of women. So going back to envy, this idea for me, at least, became, or what I started wanting to explore was sort of reverse engineering it from, oh, I wonder if the way to identify what you want is by noticing who in the culture of the collective irritates you and who you find yourself deprecating for no clear reasons, not for any actual behavior, but just because you just don't like them or they rub you the wrong way or who does she think she is? i am th- we're all as women, I think, very familiar with this, like a fellow school mom friend who grates your nerves. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, There are people, there are politicians, et cetera, who grate my nerves, but I can always point to the very specific behavior. Like that is a dehumanizing way of thinking about the world, et cetera. Like it's fine to not like everyone. That's not what I'm suggesting here. Not everyone's going to be for you, but where there's really good, incredible information is when you have what is otherwise kind of a, um, inexplicable aversion for someone, And if you just stay with it, usually what's present is something that you want or that 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 person has something that you want, that you envy. It might be that their children are incredibly well behaved and high achieving and kind. It might be that they have a slamming body and it might be that they have a lot of money. It might be that they have a very fully realized career Whatever it may be, typically it's sort of a fragment of something that they're experiencing that's very close, very close to what you want, because you'll notice too, as you talk to friends, that there are other, like you, you're not irritated by the same people because we all have very different wants. Yes. Yes. It's that the wants
1: and the needs and what's underneath that. And it's so interesting because what we are taught to do is instead of going inwards inside of us, we're taught to point outwards. And so instead of kind of mm, rotating the room or looking at different perspectives of what's happening in this moment, we go out and we we blame them or we denigrate Mm -hmm. them, we put them down. And and I think that is something that we're really taught to do as women, to look outward, to do the social comparisons, And to minimize, put down, and it's just a really hard experience when none of that is really about the other person.
0: Sure, we all have people that we might not get along with. No, and it's not conscious. And when we project, it's like essentially that the other woman is pushing on a dream that you have for yourself. And it's so hard to acknowledge that, see that, work with it that the instinct is to project it. It's to take all that bad feeling and then push it onto the woman who's making you feel bad. (laughs) So it's this vicious cycle. And the irony, of course, is that in this effort to escape feeling uncomfortable, bad, or like you're not, you know, they're pushing on a dream that you have for yourself that you haven't quite acknowledged or realized. And But instead of saying, "Okay, great information, let me just sit with this for a minute and like, let me let this happen. When we repress, suppress and project and then deprecate, we end up feeling worse. It doesn't none of us feel particularly good. And, you know, these the sins are fascinating. They're sort of a psychological system, I think, for women and shadow in many ways, sort of what we what we haven't been allowed to or not haven't owned. Um, these very human instincts, needs, impulses, but they all then diagram. So envy and pride are very close to each other. You hear a lot of women saying like, I don't want to be recognized. I don't want praise. I don't want attention because I don't want to inspire envy because we recognize the way that we bat each other down. We do it to famous women in particular all the time Mm any woman who dares to be seen we allow a certain amount before we think that she's gotten too big for britches needs to be put back in her place and then like knives out she's going down and then after a certain amount of penance we'll let her rise like a phoenix from the ashes and then ultimately there's this very toxic myth of scarcity which i write about in greed um which is this idea that men are not, there are plenty of seats for them at the boardroom, right? There's plenty of opportunity. They help each other in the highest echelons of business and politics because they're not convinced in the way that women are. And we're convinced of this for good reason, but that there's only room for one. And in order to get that seat that is occupied by a woman, she must be dethroned. She must be done away with that instead of sort of eyeing the men at the table and saying, okay, how do we like create more equity here? How do we change the balance of power in this room? Let's help each other. We're just programmed to see each other as the one who needs to be dethroned. Therefore, if she has something, then I can't have it too. If she has a best-selling book, then that means she's taken that spot. That's how we, you'll catch yourself thinking this instead of saying, okay, actually wait, because she's doing this, it shows what's possible. So I'm going to use it as a path for potential and opportunity. I'm going to study her. I'm going to see what she's going to be doing rather than I need to destroy her in order to make room for me.
1: Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed, in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. In 2021, I found myself in a bath. I was literally in a bath, but it was like a <laughs> bath of envy. And I was looking outwards, having spent several years already building a social media platform as a therapist, which not many people were doing that in 2018 when I had started. And then I saw the people who I started with start to publish books. Mm-hmm. And it was this feeling of why you? Why why? Oh well, that's not gonna be and it was literally a bath of envy. And recognizing it was this aha moment of, I need to stop being so scared. Mm -hmm. I need to write the book. I need to take all of the steps and do this thing because that's what I want and that's what I need. And it was such a powerful shift in how I was looking outward to then go inward and say, what steps do I need to take to get to that place? Yeah. And then just to celebrate so many other people who are having bestseller books, who are out there writing or self-publishing or all of the things, it was quite a powerful shift.
0: Yeah, and its I will offer for anyone listening that in this moment of time, it's still uncomfortable. You're still, you're going to encounter resistance and scarcity from other people wherever you go. So it's like, there's some, heartbreak in this process I don't know if that's been your experience as well we're just not there culturally however it shouldn't inhibit or stop you from doing it mm-hmm. and if anything if this conversation is resonant and you're able to say okay let me think through the sand on my pearl in my sort of direct community or online like who's grading me who is grading me that Richard Schwartz calls them tormentors. Mm-hmm. They're your mentors. They're your greatest teachers. So as you start to pay attention and then use that to sort of draft a map or an idea of what your soul is trying to communicate to you, there's a certain amount of, like, not power in that, but there's a certain amount of clarity that's hopefully enough to push you. Because then once you're moving and once you're working with the universe, you'll encounter... All sorts of hurdles. You'll encounter foes. You'll also encounter friends. But it's so much more rewarding, I guess, than not doing the thing at all and/or hoping somehow that there'll be some other type of intervention. You know. But this is this is it. Like the envy is the knock on the door. It's your job to open the door, I think, and just say, okay, what is there, and what am I to do about it? It's the other piece
1: too of recognizing that when someone is not able to support you in what you're doing, so you've made the choice, you open the door, you listen to what's calling for you and you go and do it, then acknowledging that not everybody is going to be where you are and to mm-hmm. see that others is perhaps negative comments or perceptions of you are not about you and what it is that you're doing, but it does come from something within themselves. And I think that's where people are really trying to make this big shift of
0: understanding this. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think that there's, as you encounter criticism, you can tell as you sort of hold it. Is this something that you hold against yourself? And maybe there's work to be done there. Or can you just take this as someone Mm. else's projection of their own undiagnosed envy or that part of them that's having this why you, how dare you, who do you think you are response, which is like, in many ways, not your problem, not your work. So sometimes Mm -hmm. there's work in there and sometimes there's not. And part of this process, I don't know if this was similar for you, of writing this book and bringing out into the world is attending to all my longing. Because I think that as part of it and as a ghost writer and, you know, working for many powerful people in the culture, there was always this sort of hoping longing, desire to be seen, and I certainly have been. I'm not I'm not suggesting that I haven't been, but this like don't make me ask or don't make me put myself out there. Can you just like pluck me? I remember talking to this young when I was a magazine editor at Condé Nast and I don't know, I'd had this revelation when I was oh, maybe 26 and I had been at the same magazine and I really I had sort of a toxic abusive coworker who was Persecuting me and um I needed to leave. Like I couldn't, it was is becoming unhealthy and there was no help coming from inside the building. And I had this sort of moment where I was like, oh right, like this does the world doesn't work like this. No, no hand of God is gonna come down and pluck me out and sort of dust me off and put me. I need to put myself in motion. Mm-hmm. And it all sort of worked out it was hard it took me 6 months a year to find my next job and it was painful but it was a really good moment for me even though i don't know that i actually completely internalized it until i ever even have because i I've, I've gone through life and i'd say the bringing the book out into the world was a good maybe the final passage of this particular part of my life of, you know, I'd spent first 20 years of my career accruing favors, right? And just being like, I'm gonna, you know, do my best to be a good person. I'm gonna like work really hard for other people. You know, I was a magazine writer. So it's like, I was highlighting, you know, businesses, blogger, I was like one of the first journalists at a magazine to cover the internet and blogger, I gave a lot of big bloggers their first press. And anyway, interviewed tons of people in my last job, um, where I at a very big platform. And so I sort of came into this book, saying, Oh, wow, like, there are a lot of people who I've done a lot of things for. And clearly, this is I've never asked anyone for anything. So this is clearly the moment of reciprocation. <laughs> and it was I, what I did, because initially I was sort of like skating towards pub day and I was like, they'll just know I had all this unspoken longing. I hope that they realize that this is the moment, right? That they recognize like everything's transactional because I do think every, I mean, even love, love the most loving relationships are mm-hmm. transactional. It has a bad, bad word. But I was talking to another author and he was whose book was coming out and he was like, how can I help you? And, and he's very overt. He was very overt about asking me for my support. I've interviewed him several times. And I was like, how do I do this? You know, to a man, like, how do you do that? What do you do? And he was like, you have to make it overt. You have to ask, you can't just expect that people Mm -hmm. are going to support you. Make it overt you write and you say, Hey, I would love your support. Um, if this book is present, whatever, whatever. He gave me some script lines. It was amazing that he had to tell me that, but that's where we are. But, um, he was like, don't, you can't leave it. You can't like leave it on the court. If you don't ask, you'll always wonder, make every. And then I did, I, you know, I love Carl Jung. So I went into like a deep, um, transactional, read some papers about transactional shadow vows, which is like what we bring into every relationship, all the, um, covert longing and wanting that we very rarely even acknowledge to ourselves. Right. Like all the covert longing and wanting the fantasies that you have about your husband that you're about to marry or whatever it is, like the fantasy that you're telling yourself in your head. And so I did it. I, I made all of my covert wanting and longing And it was hard because I was disappointed by a lot of people. And I'm so glad I asked. It was mm. so clarifying. Like sometimes it's just so much better to be like, okay, now I see. I understand. Um, anyway, I don't even know how we that, got onto that. but
1: No, but it's, it's great, at least. That, that That is the hardest piece, though, because we do things to try to avoid feeling disappointment yeah a because no one helped us learn how to get through it um and b because it's so uncomfortable I had said um, to someone I was working with that their job is to say no to their child and that it's okay that we, you know, no, it's not a bag of cookies at 8 p.m. before bedtime. Or no, we can't do 10 activities in one week because it's not good for our family. But then our job as parents is to help our children cope through that sense of disappointment. But yeah. as soon as you said that, that you were disappointed, I could just feel my whole body reacting to that because. I I know that. And that Mm -hmm. that is, oh, it's the it's the hoping and the longing that they will give it back to you. Yeah. And and then it doesn't come back and it feels so hard and uh, it's it's a really hard truth. And also, too, though, there's um, in existential therapy. We talk about leaving it all out on the table that. Each moment is a meaningful moment. Uh, If you're going to end session, what is it that you'd like to finish here today? What is that one thing you would like to say so that you don't look back with regrets? Yeah. And that is essentially the I'm going to ask. I will ask all of them. So then
0: I never have to wonder about whether they would or wouldn't have. Exactly. One hundred percent. Because the disappointment. Sure, it hurts, but it's very survivable. Mm-hmm. And there is a clarifying and it's a muscle building, you know, because I think so many of us never asked because and as women, we're certainly conditioned not to. I mean, I write about this in the last chapter, but it has wider implications. But this idea of sort of always chosen, never choosing, always desirable, never desiring. And so much of this is so it's so deep. In our subconscious, this, like, I'll just look pretty over here on the sidelines. I'll be picked. Mm. It's a certain type of passivity that I think we're taught as women that that's what's seemly, that's what's appropriate. You're not supposed to go out there and get what you want or ask for what you want. Obviously, we're now conditioned to this, we're sort of blamed for the lack of equity, which is maddening to me. The whole, like, negotiate harder, ask for what you want, demand what you deserve. It's like, no, every woman know. I mean, it's not, I know some, maybe imposter syndrome is a real thing, but I don't know, I don't really know many women who are having confidence crises. I think of anything, many of us look around and think, God, like, put me in, I would do a much better job. But we know better than to show that or express that Mm. or... We're much, we're incredible negotiators, particularly when we're negotiating on behalf of other people. But um, the way that we're sort of blamed for a lack of equity is maddening, you know, don't use weak language. Don't, it's like, well, we know how to survive. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't lecture us. We've been, you know, doing our best in a world not really built for us.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which in some ways comes to anger, which is another emotion that I think a lot of women don't allow themselves to feel. Yeah. And your article, The Six Ways Women Undermine Themselves, you put in the expression, which I hear all the time, the expression, I shouldn't be so upset that my husband forgot to schedule the kids's, I think you said dentist
0: appointment. Yeah. What's happening there? Just in terms of partnership. I mean like the and amount, anger, uh, allowing and anger. ourselves to feel angry. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, and this is I write about this in the anger chapter, which is very much built on um the work of Harriet Lerner who wrote The Dance of Anger. But there is a an inherent fear, I think, for women to express our anger and displeasure that we'll lose our relationships. It's so incredibly alienating. You know, we have a million words for an angry woman crazy, true, like lots of expletives. I won't swear on your podcast, but, you know, people can. And then even with with a man, um, we call him a son of a bee mm. or a bastard. We still find a way to sort of blame the mother, blame the woman. But there's this just sort of inherent basic fear that if I assert myself, if I if I am angry, I will lose love. I will lose partnership. My partner, if I'm married to a man, will go and find someone more pleasing, more conciliatory. Um, So much of us have sort of abandoned ourselves and again, our own needs to create a comfortable environment for other people to be diplomatic, to sort of be like, I'll be the one to give here because displeasure, discomfort are intolerable because. What I'm really asking is for my husband or partner to change, and he might not change or want to change or work on this relationship, and then, then what? So there's a, a tremendous amount of self-sacrifice, and our a, aversion to, and I think there are lots of ways to metabolize and move our anger in very constructive, essential, boundary establishing life-changing ways so it's not the anger chapter isn't sort of like a just scream and yell and allow every emotion just be an outburst right although I think go hit your pillow (laughs) go hit your pillow but women can do that too but there's ways to use our anger particularly when we're really skilled in conversation to land a point without necessarily creating an intractable conflict which is. To say to that partner who failed to schedule the appointment, I'm angry because I am needing to know that I don't need to do everything. I'm angry because I am needing to know that you're also paying attention. Um, It's just much less direct. I mean, and I I like direct communication, but it's much less blaming and sort of putting yourself immediately into a victim, a drama triangle with like the victim and the villain where you're always playing the hero and when you can create enough space so that the other person can step in and acknowledge their part without feeling like they're sort of receiving all of your rage. I think it's so important for us to understand, and Brene Brown
1: talks a little bit about this too, the difference between anger as a secondary or primary emotion. Is this an emotion about an emotion or is this more of that core emotion? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for us not to downplay those moments where something doesn't feel just or fair. Those are times where we are angry when someone commits to doing something and then doesn't uphold their commitment that anger makes sense and that doesn't it doesn't give you permission then to go because this is often what we do right and and Harriet Lerner's book was groundbreaking for me I read it over 10 years ago gave it to a friend her husband saw it on the bedside table and was like do we have a problem here (laughs) we still (laughs) gotta laugh about that story um And and it's just, and also too, that she says at the beginning of the book, how many years it took her to get it published because nobody in the eighties wanted to publish a book about women being angry. Nope. And we had come that far. I know, (laughs) right? It's just, gosh, and then I'm getting derailed here, but I'm even just thinking about how still with children today how it was so acceptable for my daughter to get hurt and cry and those soft emotions were okay, but to not be angry and that for my son to stand up and brush it off. And those messages are still here.
0: You know, this is, I write about Rachel, is her name Snyder? Odd Girl Out, um, an amazing book. Rachel Simmons, sorry. And she looks, it's about sort of aggression in girls and the way that it's socialized. And this is still so so insistent in the way that our kids are raised or our expectations for boys and girls. It's so deep. And again, this is where we then immediately go to like, oh, it's just their nature. It's like, no, we're all socialized. It's impossible to distinguish nature from culture because we're all socialized from birth, right? So, but it's this idea that girls and boys um, are both incredibly aggressive. They have a lot of aggression. It's part, we're animals, you know, ultimately we have a lot of aggression. It's very human. It's very natural to need to sort of want to express ourselves fully. Kids are great at it. Babies are tremendous at it. Watch them get pissed and cry all the time. Right. Um, But we socialize them out of it. And for boys and their aggression, it's completely acceptable, if not venerated at times or sort of adored, that they yell and they push and they shove and they fight, right? There's an expectation that boys will be boys and that's what they do. Girls, on the other hand, are not allowed to do that. Girls don't do that. And so all that present aggression comes out in covert ways. So it's, whispering, alliance building, backstabbing, it's covert social aggression. There's nowhere else for all of these feelings to go, you know? Mm. Um, And then we're told like, that's just who girls are. They're just catty bitches, you know? Um, But it's how we're conditioned to express ourselves. We're not allowed to sort of punch, push and kick and scream.
1: One of the most cathartic things for me in terms of really making space for my anger was going to a gym class, uh, a more of a martial arts focused gym class. And it was just one of those moving it through my body and allowing it to allowing myself to have that feeling and use it in that way to get it out. But then also spending time asking myself, what's underneath this for me? What is it telling me that I need and how can I start listening? to that what do I need to communicate
0: yeah no anger is so important it's that sort of don't tread on me I have needs a a boundary is being crossed Mm -hmm. um you know I think sometimes it's just irritation right there's sort of the the scale I mean I think sometimes we just all wake up grumpy but um But essential anger is exactly that. It's essential. And it is one of the primary ways that we, our bodies and how we communicate with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: There's so much more to uncover. I know your book is just filled with so many insights and pieces for us to move forward. I recommend everyone to go and grab it. I have one more question for you. What is something that you are doing each day, or what is one way of being that helps you live a
0: meaningful life? Mm, I recognize now, and this is a great luxury, um, having, you know, now working for myself for the past three years, but I need a lot of time by myself and I need a lot of time to be quiet. And I like to go on a sort of hour long loop in my, neighborhood. And I do, I guess you would call it a walking meditation. I'm not a good sitter. I I can't, I can't struggle to sit and meditate, but this is my version of just being with myself. It's where I get the most inspiration. I have sort of those like the most aha moments. I have my phone so I can text myself um, as I walk, but I really need I sort of think of it as like my emotional hygiene time where I'm just processing thinking and moving things throughout my body um, without, and the movement is is essential for me. So if anyone's listening who can't sit, you're not alone, um, really can't sit and meditate. So there are other ways. And that, that's okay.
1: There are other ways. Yeah. We don't need to get stuck in defining this um this wellness piece of meditation as a a dimly lit room with candles on your yoga mat and you are sitting on a puff cushion with right it's no. just, it's not for everybody that way but there are ways to make contact i think what we you are speaking here is co- come to the present moment be in my body yeah and and tune out the noise of everything else yeah yeah it's essential hygiene Thank you so much, Elise, for being here with me for your book. I know your book is going to stay on our shelves for so many years to come. It is such a key piece. I have all the links in the show notes where people can find you and grab your book. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Over the next week, I want to encourage you to spend some time noticing and paying attention to some of those uncomfortable emotions that show up within us, including anger and envy, and spend some more time slowing down and asking yourself, what is this telling me? What is it that I'm wanting? What is it that I'm needing? And I love going into our core needs because one of the things that we didn't get to talk about on the episode is how those needs can be really important to listen to. And needs are not, I need you to clean up. I need you to help. Yes, those are actionable things that we require, but they're not our core needs. Our core needs are things like connection, attention, to feel like we matter, to feel adequate. Our core needs are things like needing power and freedom and our own sense of agency. I'm so glad you joined us today. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, you can submit your questions to me to be answered here on the pod. You can do that on my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. I love getting your questions and being able to spend time deep diving into them here And if you haven't yet, be sure to check out some of my resources available to you. I have my free masterclass so that you can learn how to repair with your partner after the fight. I know so many people have benefited from taking this short session with me. You're going to walk away with several tools, including understanding one of my top ways to help you go back and repair. And it's not what you think. Until next time, take good care of you and I'll see you next week. Remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in